Hello and welcome to Conscious Consumption. I'm Isabella Rosley and today I want to talk about the role of social media influencers with fast fashion. So I'm currently in Singapore staying at Marina Bay Sands, which is a great hotel overlooking the city and the gardens by the bay. And I can't help but notice that there's a lot of, you know, pretty girls taking a bunch of photos with selfie sticks and those selfie lighting like circle things so they you know get the perfect lighting for their pictures and I thought it would be a good time to just talk about how social media plays such a strong role in fast fashion. One of the best marketing techniques brands are using these days is collaborating with influencers on social media to promote their brands. Essentially Companies send clothes or whatever products they offer to people that fit their aesthetic and have a lot of followers. And then the person promotes their new products through videos or reels, images or whatever on social media. Sometimes they'll do unpackaging videos or try on hauls or just take photos or whatever. And it's a mutually beneficial partnership because the brand and influencers both get new content and gain exposure Depending on their following, influencers might get paid per post as well. It's just contingent on their relationship with the brand and you know how many likes they receive and things like that. Influencer marketing is the most effective trend to gain brand awareness right now, and it's becoming increasingly popular because the people find it kind of more authentic when they see an influencer taking photos versus just like the company's hired model and it's crazy because, you know, I just feel so frustrated that these influencers are promoting such toxic brands and they take no responsibility for encouraging overconsumption of sustainable, unsustainable products that are made with unethical labor. And, you know, we idolize or these people and whatever they're posting and... You know, they're talking about how amazing their new clothes are from, you know, whatever fast fashion company, blah, blah, blah. And they convince us we should order too because we need them because they're trendy and we should follow the latest trends. That's what fashion's all about, right? And, you know, it's a shame because they have so much power to promote something better or like at least an ethical brand or something. But, the, you know, most influencers are collaborating with fast fashion companies. And the focus is always on, you know, looking good, making money, appearing put together and gaining followers and likes or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure hardly any of them ever think about who's, you know, dyeing their fabric or sewing the clothes or if they're getting paid and treated well or, you know, what textiles are used or what textiles even means, you know. And it's all about money and fame and it's so sad that this is our reality. And I feel like, you know, we can't do anything about these influencers really I mean sure we can stop supporting them that would be ideal but um I think that's what we can do but that's pretty hard to do these days because it's fun to look at everything but you know what we look at and see that impacts our purchasing decisions that impacts our mind we're so manipulated into thinking we want things and need things that we don't need and yeah it's a strange reality we're living in I often, you know, wonder if influencers who promote fast fashion should be held accountable. Like, they, nothing happens to them. They just get a bunch of money for, you know, promoting this. 
And, you know, at this point, if you're on social media, it's pretty likely that you've seen some sort of fashion haul where influencers show off their latest purchases or products that the brand sent them and they'll, you know, try on five or ten outfits or whatever and, you know, snap their fingers in between the looks to show them off. And a lot of the times this, I feel like the most common hauls are with Shein and Amazon and Urban Outfitters or Nasty Gal, Boohoo, things like that. And I've actually asked people, I don't have TikTok, so I've asked other people, what do you see a lot? And I would actually say Amazon. I think that's becoming even more popular now, which is crazy. And a lot of influencers are just promoting brands that are participating in greenwashing and essentially just spread the false information even more. And actually in high school, I did some freelance modeling in Chicago and I had a style page on Instagram and after I gained more followers, brands started reaching out to me about sending products in exchange for me posting about their products and doing, you know, photo shoots with them. And I ended up collaborating with a few different brands, some apparel, some watches, you know, jewelry, different accessories and, you know, just whatever I was offered. It was so easy to just say yes to the companies and then receive free products within a few days. And it was fun having a promo code that people could use for a discount. And I never thought about, you know, who was making the products or how they were made or anything like that. So I certainly understand how and why influencers don't really take this into account. But of course, like after I went to college and learned about fashion and the harm this industry causes, you know, I ended up deleting the account and just couldn't be a part of that toxic environment that social media and, you know, these partnerships promote. And... You know, that's another one of these reasons that I'm starting this podcast and continuing to motivate motivate myself to keep going because it's all about just learning more about this industry and the detrimental impacts it has on the world and society. And, you know, it's pretty easy to just stay blindsided it's almost better to not learn about it if you're an influencer I feel like because then like what do you do you're just like what do you I don't know what you're supposed to do you've been promoting this like awful brand and then you're just stuck with it or something I don't know you just change your personal brand identity I don't know but you know influencers face no consequences for promoting these unsustainable and unethical brands so why should they stop overconsumption is such a huge issue right now and the fact that so many influencers are making thousands and millions or whatever dollars by encouraging it is ridiculous it's hard to imagine that influencers are really only thinking about money and content but you know i doubt that they care about anything else otherwise you know they wouldn't be promoting this endless cycle of over consuming disposable clothes i think in another podcast in the future i'll talk about cancel culture which is a mass withdrawal from a company or figure because I think it's so funny how people cancel celebrities for doing one stupid thing. Like um, like when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, you know, they, it was like a big cancel culture thing. Everyone's like, oh, canceled. But then, you know, Sheehan, who uses unethical slave labor and is responsible for an enormous amount of pollution, doesn't get canceled completely. You know, it's still being heavily promoted. I don't understand this and it just blows my mind how something super controversial will come out about a company and then it's blown over like it never happened within a week. For example, Urban Outfitters had a huge cultural appropriation scandal and Balenciaga had a big scandal with using child models and some kind of tie with child abuse and pornography, yet both of these companies are still extremely successful and continue to generate a ton of money and 
are just continuing to grow. And I think a lot of people in the sustainable fashion industry had been hopeful that fast fashion would decline and not continue to be so successful, but that's not the case. Reality is that these companies are still extremely profitable and not by any means going out of style soon. Shein, one of the biggest fast fashion companies, um, which is an you know online platform only that has basically no transparency whatsoever about who's making their clothes or anything like that. This company doubled their profits from 2021 to 2022. 2021, they had 15 billion, and 2022, around 30 billion dollars. So these Shein hauls are, in particular, also one of the most commonly promoted social media marketing videos that people are talking about. And I don't even, like I mentioned, I don't even have TikTok, but I see them sometimes on Instagram. And it's crazy because there'll be thousands of comments about people who are like, OMG love, buying right now. Or they'll tag their friend, they'll say like, let's get this or whatever. And I don't think I realized how many people were still obsessing over this brand. But some of these TikTok calls are receiving, you know, 2.5 billion views which is crazy that so many people are seeing this. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, with the ties with China and this company being a Chinese company and TikTok's, like, control over it and, like, how we're so manipulated into what we're seeing. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but just, you know, very suspicious, of course. Um, But, you know, these videos are receiving so many views and they so many people are clicking on the links to buy everything and the influencer just they just earned a ton of money and they so they can just buy like mass amounts of clothes and post more hauls and it's just an endless cycle so I reached out to an influencer I used to follow she's from Australia and she has 140,000 followers and she posts a ton of haul videos all the time and she also shares kind of an authentic side to herself of herself to her followers she actually has a bearded dragon that she posts with too, and I have one too. So I think that's the reason I originally followed her. I don't even follow her anymore, but I wanted to learn more about influencers' views. So that's why I reached out to her. And I started by asking her, you know, if she checks the ethics behind the companies she promotes. And then I asked her, you know, about how she discards her clothes. And, you know, since she's literally posting hundreds of different outfits, it's crazy. And then I asked her, you know, why she has some top-notch quality products that cost, you know, thousands of dollars, and then why she also has fast fashion products. Because I don't understand that. I feel like a lot of people's biggest issue with buying sustainable clothes is that it costs more money than fast fashion, which I understand that's true. So then it's like, why do rich people who get free clothes still support fast fashion and promote it? You know, that was, I didn't say that last part, but that's basically what I'm wondering. So she responded by saying she does check the ethics of companies by using the website Good On You, which is one I actually mentioned in a previous episode because it rates companies' ethics in terms of textile sustainability, animal treatment, ethical labor, transparency, and things like that. So I was like, that's great. Cool. She knows what that website is. Good for her. Uh, She said she sells her clothes on secondhand websites like Depop and at markets. She donates them to friends and family and charity shops. Just cool. Great way to get rid of your clothes, I guess. Um, And then she shared that she didn't find it sustainable to always purchase from high-end retailers. 
And of course, she wants to shop sustainable whenever she can, but sometimes that can cost thousands of dollars and tens of hours trying to find something that fits within her budget. And so she justifies that it's all right to occasionally buy fast fashion as long as you keep the garment a long time and ensure it gets lots of love in her wardrobe. I thanked her and, you know, shared how much I appreciated her response and then followed up by asking about her awareness of the working conditions about some of the fast fashion companies that she's directly promoting. And she said it's honestly terrible, which is why she tries to avoid it whenever she can. And she also said that she doesn't always promote fast fashion brands, only occasionally, which is why she tries to compensate for it by thrifting out of her wardrobe. And I think a lot of influencers would have a similar response. You know, you kind of find a ba- like you justify it by finding a balance between, you know, promoting some high end, promoting some fast fashion, doing some thrifting as well. And it's like, you know, they try to just find like a nice mix and then they think they're not so bad or whatever. And it's, you know, it seems like we all try to compensate for purchases. We know we're unethical by also just donating or shopping secondhand or whatever. But if we're all doing this, then nothing is ever going to change. I'm sure every influencer kind of has a similar mindset of like, oh, I won't only promote the worst fast fashion brands. I'll just do it sometimes. And then it's not so bad. But then it's like everyone's doing it. So then everyone's seeing it and everyone's buying it. Um, (laughs) This is a big rant. It feels like this is a rant right now. (laughs) Uh, So there's another term for smaller scale influencers called micro-influencers, which... I think could be kind of a key to a more sustainable fashion future in terms of like social media's role in it. Because, you know, right now, obviously, we live in an age where social media is one of the most effective forms of communication. You know, 94% of fashion brands who utilize influencers to promote their brands find it extremely effective. In the past, many brands aim to mostly just collaborate with macro influencers. Um, these are, you know, well-established people that have built their personal identity and have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or millions even. And however, um, research recently has shown that micro influencers who have a smaller following are proving to have a greater impact on their followers because people view their content as more genuine and authentic. So they're more likely to purchase whatever they're promoting micro influencers have around like five to fifty thousand followers and then there's like mid-tier which is 50 to 250 and then macro is 250 to a million kind of it's all kind of relative um and then micro influencers are apparently can increase engagement by 60 percent when compared to macro influencers who have you know a lower engagement rate I think the trust between the followers and micro-influencers is key to consumers' buying habits and beliefs. Frankly, most macro-influencers encourage these huge fast fashion companies such as, you know, Shein, Zara, Nasty Gal, Zaffle, Boohoo, and all that um, because their their personal brands are so established. It makes sense that they... It wouldn't make sense for them to switch to promoting a sustainable brand, whereas micro-influencers influencers could come into play in like um, you know a new positive way they're not as established so they still have I guess an opportunity or chance to promote something more sustainable they can create this their own personal brand identity into something you know better for the world and the fashion industry I guess 
some of the most sustainable things we can do as consumers is to stop purchasing or at least make our purchases last longer on top of, you know, just promoting ethically sourced products. Micro-influencers can promote other, you know, secondhand shopping or mending old clothes or upcycling or shopping local or purchasing handmade goods. You know, there's so much potential for a positive change and you know, this fashion revolution is happening and I think micro-influencers will be a key driver to this change. Another term for a new kind of influencer is sustainable fashion influencer, which is pretty new and not as common, obviously. But I'm hoping that this becomes a lot more popular and actually makes a difference in the world of social media. I know there's a lot of people out there that won't care ever about (laughs) promoting fast fashion companies but I think that there's a lot of people that are starting to care more and wanting to make a difference they're just they have a lot less following because it's easy to you know follow the fast fashion trends rather than the sustainable (laughs) trends but you know there's there's a ton of potential Um, so before I end this podcast I wanted to share a little bit about my journey with trying to learn how to ride a motorbike in Southeast Asia. So my first attempt was with my roommate, Maria, who's the best. She's from America as well. And we lived in a guest house together with our host family in Bangkok. And we were on a trip to Chiang Mai and we were so excited to learn how to ride a motorbike. I was so confident and we were going to take the bike into the mountains, not too high up or anything, nothing crazy. Just, you know, see some good views or whatever. And then, with so Maria tries it first and she's, she started to drive the bike before she was even on it. It was so funny. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this man let us take the bike. And then I tried... And I was so confident. Oh my God, I went so fast and almost went straight into a like cement wall. It was so scary. And then I wanted to keep trying, but my legs were shaking so bad. And I was like, oh my God, Maria, I, I can't do this right now. My legs won't stop shaking. Like I want to keep trying, but actually I, I don't, you know? So then we just returned the bike and we ended up going, um, we went to an ethical elephant sanctuary actually and it was a super cool experience we went hiking we went in a waterfall and someone else drove us most importantly so that was nice and then so for work I did an internship in Bangkok and I had to take the bus and then there are these guys that have a like orange vest on and they'll like take you in the local neighborhood they all have like different zones and I met this one guy who would take me from the bus stop to work and he spoke English, so he like gave me his card, and I started calling him to get me because it's just so much easier to um, just tell him where I needed to go because he understood. Whereas with the other drivers, it was kind of obviously a huge language barrier because I'm not fluent with Thai, only know the basics. So sometimes I'd be driving around, I'm like, shit, this is not where I'm supposed to be going right now. Like, <laughs> I need to get off this bike, you know? So I'd, of course, go to this guy a lot. And then he's like, do you know how to ride a motorbike? And I was like, no, like, I tried once, but it's really scary. And he's like, oh, like, I'll teach you. And I was like, all right, sure, we can try that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to dress, but we'll try tomorrow. And, like, so the next day we kind of tried... And it was really scary because we're in Bangkok, which is probably the worst place to learn how to drive a motorbike. It was so, so scary. Um, But eventually I 
you know, almost crashed it. So I was like, okay, you drive me to the bus stop, not me, because he was trying to get me to drive myself to the bus stop. And he was kind of sitting behind me trying to help. But there were so many bikes around and so many cars, and I just, like, could not figure it out for the life of me. So then the, uh, the next week I tried again, and I, I kind of showed him this less busy area that I found during my lunch breaks. And, like, I learned the basics of how to do it. It's really easy. There's, you know, you just turn it on, and then there's a go, and, you know, the brakes, and it's not that hard. It's kind of tricky to find the balance, I feel like, and just building your confidence to drive with other cars is, like, the trickiest part. And I didn't really want to keep trying with him because since his English was good, but it wasn't great, so there was a couple of things he couldn't explain about, like the brakes so not like the best teacher for learning how to ride a motorbike. Um, and then I tried again in Kovangan, when, which is a Thai island in the south. And I tried with my brother because, of course, he comes and, you know, learns how to drive it instantly. And I'm like, all right, I need to learn. Like, I want to figure out how to do this. And I actually felt pretty good. Um, and I, I know how to. I know how to drive it. I can do it. I just am still, like, nervous around other cars and stuff. So I didn't drive that much because they were actually cows around and calves and I was scared that they would run into the road but I did learn so that's good and I'm actually headed to Indonesia tomorrow so I'm hoping to try a little bit more there before I head back to America because that's definitely something I really want to you know master at some point in my life it might happen next time I'm in Asia though because I'm kind of running out of time, and I don't want to get injured. I'm so clumsy. If you heard the first podcast, then you heard about how I fell in a hole, and it's so funny because I have this big scrape on my arm, and everyone's like, oh, motorbike accident? And I'm like, no. Like, I, and they're like, oh, what happened? They're like, oh, I, I fell in a hole. And they're like, you know what? And I was like, well, I was walking, and I just was looking around, and I didn't see this hole, a sewage hole, and I fell in it. So I feel like... I don't know. And there'll be so many instances like this where I'm just walking and trip and really hurt myself. And so I can't imagine myself on a motorbike because that's like a serious injury. You know, I hear I have a I've met a lot of people that have hurt themselves. So I'm trying to be, you know, cautious, but I also want to be determined. And I feel like I somewhat I somewhat am, I would say. Um, Well, anyways, I thank you for listening. I hope you you know, reflect on your social media and what you're seeing and how you're influenced, I guess. And I, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> I've got to get better at closing these things out. <laughs>